On this episode of the podcast, we're doing things a little differently. I'm handing the mic over to high school students in Massachusetts. They recorded their own episodes within 60 minutes of a single conference session. The results are pretty powerful. Without further ado, let me hand it over to your student hosts for the episode. I'm educational justice coach Lindsay Lyons, and here on the Time for Teachership podcast, we learn how to inspire educational innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice, and build capacity for shared leadership. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach. I'm striving to live a life full of learning, running, baking, traveling, and parenting because we can be rockstar educators and be full human beings. If you're a principal, assistant superintendent, curriculum director, instructional coach, or teacher who enjoys nerding out about co-created curriculum with students, I made this show for you. Here we go. Hi, my name is Angel. I'm here with Nick, Andrea, Diana, and Mr. Harris. And we're talking about gentrification and how it impacts people's lives and changes everything. Yeah. So what you got to ask, Nick? So I was asking Nick what his concerns about climate change are. We were talking about climate change and gentrification in our area, which is East Boston. And Nick's concern was climate change. And I was asking what his concerns specifically are about climate change. It's a great question. And what do you have to say about that? Uh, so, like, climate change around our city is, like, different because some days could be, like, warm. And then the other days can just, like, have a storm hitting us the next day. And then everybody just be concerned about it. Mm, I like that. I like that. Do you have anything to say about that? And then when it is stormy after, like, a really warm day, we get flooded. And they're building new buildings in areas that are prone to flooding, which makes no sense. Mm, so there's a lot of stuff going on in East Boston. And Diana, do you have anything to add to this? Um, I would say it's that East Boston is getting, like, a little bit tired with that stuff of the housing and everything. But it's like it's getting to a point that it's getting uncomfortable. So, yeah. Okay, I agree with that. I also have to say that because my mom would tell me that it's like kicking out the people that have been there forever because they don't have as much money as they're offering to sell these apartments and all that. And it's just like kicking out all the lower class, middle class people, and it's not fair. So, yeah, have anything to say about that? Fact. <laughs> mm-hmm, I agree. I agree. So uh, the, the dynamics of our city have changed a lot because, especially in the last years, because of COVID, when people weren't able to work and make money, they had to move because they had to go where they could afford things. And so in our area, in East Boston, we lost a lot of students and their families because people couldn't afford the rents and things of that nature. A lot of people passed away or had situations in their families which changed the dynamics of their earning ability. And so when you don't, when you're not able to make 2,800 for rent because you can't work, where do you go? You go further away where it's cheaper. And then our school population has changed a lot in the last three to five years because of these things. So gentrification in East Boston, where new homes are being put up and condos and things like that. It makes it really hard on families that are working to just be able to live in the same neighborhood as all these people with, quote unquote, a lot of money or more money. Uh, so it's just changed our whole neighborhood. And then also, as we were talking about, climate change doesn't help either because we have area around the water that gets flooded a lot and people are going to be increasingly less able to live in those neighborhoods. Thanks. And we are live with podcast with Jeffrey Herman today and my co-host, Chris Asaya. And the topic of the day is inclusion in sports. Chris, how do you feel inclusion in sports? I feel like people on teams and sports need to be more inclusive to others so that more people will join the team and more people will be happy in general and feel comfortable while being on a sports team. How do you feel? I couldn't have said it any better, my brother. Um... I would like to invite Toria Digger to the podcast right now. I have a question for you, Toria. Can you introduce okay. yourself to the podcast, please? Um, hi, my name is Toria Digger. How do we get more people to join sports who may feel uncomfortable at first? Um, I feel like having a captain who can like bring people in and like make sure that everyone feels welcome on a team, I think that's a really important factor hmm. in sports. 
So you talked about this captain. What are some captain qualities you would say? Um, being inclusive, making sure everyone feels welcome, um, like bringing the team up when like someone's down. I think those are three really big. All right. Qualities. Thank you for your time. No, Bye. Thank you. Next to the stage is Alani Gary. Hi, Alani. Hi. How do we get more people to join sports who may feel uncomfortable at first? From our your perspective. Oh, I think to have more <laughs> students join sports is to having an, like an open environment where they can feel safe even if they mess up and being able to try new things. Hmm. All right, that's a good. That's a good topic. Hi, my name's Ella. I'm a junior from Oxbridge. Oh, I'm uh, Alec. I'm a junior from Watertown. I'm Mauricio, and I'm a junior from Watertown, too. I'm Jeremy, and I'm a, a school principal from Neshoba Tech in Westford. So today we're making a podcast about the mistreatment of our peers with disabilities and how we can just talk about our experiences and like how we can fix that within our schools. So at Watertown, I truly haven't experienced any bullying or seen anyone get mistreated. I've seen kids like sit alone at tables because they're different and aware too, and they have a disability, but nothing to the extent of someone like bullying or using like vulgar language to get at someone. Do you think that other kids think about how those students who are sitting alone feel and just don't know how to approach them? Or do you think it's just something that doesn't even really cross their mind? Oh uh, yeah, of course. I think some kids do have like the fear of like opening up and like asking someone to like sit with them. I don't think that's easy to everyone to just open up to someone you don't really know or don't talk to on a daily basis and just ask to sit with them. I know since I started the Unified program this year, um, I'm now obviously more like, I'm seeing more that like some of these kids are like sitting alone and like now I can like go and like I know them now and I can go talk to them. But sometimes like when I'm sitting with my friends and like they are sitting with other groups, I realize that they'll be doing something that's not considered like normal or just being like abnormally loud for the lunchroom and there'll be like giggles and just other things like that. So that's kind of what I want to stop in my school is like no more like of these like little side comments that aren't necessary because obviously they're different, but that doesn't mean they don't need to be treated with the same respect as like you or I. So that's kind of my for when I get back. How many people participate in the Unified program? So I was in Unified Gym and there was like eight helpers or buddies. We didn't really know what to call it, mm -hmm. us. And then there was, no, there was nine of us. And then there was eight kids from Ms. Stewart's room who was the Unified teacher. There's more kids in that room, but there was only eight in that specific program. Most of them being on the younger side, like eighth graders, because mm -hmm. eighth graders in our high school. Did you have to decide to enter that program or was it assigned or how does that work? So I went to guidance last day of school of my sophomore year with my friend and this guidance counselor, she kind of knows me, but she's not my guidance counselor. She's like, oh, I was meaning to talk to you. You'd be a good fit because of like my involvement in like student council and like other sports I do. So I was kind of a good fit for like the first year of this program running and I'm glad I did it because I just learned. Or do you think it was something that a lot of people were doing? It would make a, a big difference in this um, I think since the unified sports program like started, obviously now more doing like I'm doing our Spartan Sidekicks Club. I'm going to be doing a unified bocce tournament soon. So I think this program has really used a gateway to have more kids enter like and be more inclusive with this unified program, which I think is a great I like a great thing because I would have never been to Spartan Sidekicks or done Unified Bocce if I wasn't introduced to this program when I was. So I think more programs like this, we try to start a Unified Basketball team, but we just didn't get interest. So I think with more interest and more involvement, it could like really grow to something more. What she touched base on too was like, so we have that sort of thing too, Unified Basketball. I think it's more of like a community now, like you see one friend joining in as a helper and then you you want to do it all of a sudden and i think community service plays a big part of it like kids would just start it off at first just to get community service and get their hours and now i think kids just do it because they really enjoy it and they like 
you know, like they have fun being with the new five kids and stuff. So I think it's just more of a community now, and that's evolved to other activities too, like outside of it, with kids that you don't really think you'd see each other like getting along now all of a sudden. Like, it's just really evolving. It's something that's evolved over the years. Like even when I've been in the high school, like I don't know. I just think it's getting better and better over the years. Yeah, since the Unified program is like newer to our school, this was our first year of the Unified basketball program, and like we couldn't even get a team, so it became a club, which no one joined. So I think we just really need more student involvement in these activities. Like, I know I sadly couldn't participate because I had other sports going on, same with a bunch of my friends. So we really need to like emphasize like this is for everyone. You don't need to play basketball to do this. It's just more about fun and inclusion, which needs to be more. Yeah, that too. Like how how it's brought up, how it's like, like if someone comes up, to to how it's introduced to people. Yeah, if you just come up to me and say, "Hi, like, do you need community service?" Most of the kids are gonna say, "Yeah." If people are just like, "It's unified," then some kids might be like, "All right, that's the line. Like, I don't think I can see myself doing that." Like that sort of thing. Like, I think there's kids just just like throw it off because it's unified and they don't think they build a bond with those kids. But then once they start, it's something else. Yeah, I I personally haven't joined any at our school. Like Marisha said, we have unified basketball, but I haven't joined it yet. But now I think coming here and like actually talking about it, it's like now I'm kind of interested in changing, doing it, and helping out. So. Are you a hockey player? Yeah, me and him play hockey. And there's now unified hockey. Hey, it's Lindsay. Just jumping in here quick to remind you that this episode has a free resource, which are the slides from the summit conference session. So the exact slides that I use to help students produce a podcast episode in 60 minutes or less. Go check it out, lindsaybethlyons.com slash blog slash 107. Now back to the episode. But there's learn, like, there's learn to play and stuff. Okay. And be, yeah. Yeah. I bet there is something with, with skating or something relevant or floor hockey or something. Oh, yeah. yeah they do like recreational like in the summer and stuff yeah. like floor hockey and yeah. I, bet, I think the best way to do this is to find something you already like, you know, something related to hockey, and, and find a way that you can get back and help other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Unified is is um, affiliated with the Special Olympics, right? Um, I don't know if in my school it is, because, like, Unified PE was, like, run by a PE teacher. Like, she created the whole curriculum. But then, like, at the same time, Unified Bocce, like, the entire – unified class basically goes to it so i don't really know like i just don't have that information okay. so i don't know if it's like because i know like my a pe teacher i've had in the past like created this curriculum over the summer for this semester so so i think i saw one of the other rooms here that was about unified sports mentioned an affiliation with special olympics we so all just went yeah we, were, okay. we all came from that one yeah okay so because my my son did skiing through the Special Olympics where he would go every Sunday and you know students who were and even actually some were up to eighteen, some of them were older than but and he would basically do a learn to ski with them where he would teach them to ski and they would actually many of them get to the point where they were doing, you know, races on the weekends as part of a, a Special Olympics program that I imagine is really similar to, to Unify. Um, so he was able to take something he really enjoyed which was skiing and channel into helping other people. So kind of a win win there. Yeah, I agree with that. I like you said. I think it's just like something that you have a passion in and enjoy doing, and then passing that down to peers, unified kids, like even younger kids. It's just like it's a special like thing to you too. I guess at that point, like teaching someone something, like just putting a smile on someone else's face. At the end of the day, like teaching them how to do something that you have passion in, I guess, is something I enjoy. It's a great comment to end the podcast on. What's good? Uh, <laughs> what's up? Um, it's Zaza. We go to Kenton High School. Hello, how y'all doing? My name is Jamal, and I go to Kenton High School as well. I'm Zach, and I go to East Bridgewater. So today, we're going to be talking about true intentions what does that mean to other people? And what does that mean for other people? And we're also going to talk about how it affects everybody in general. And we're going to see today and hear other people's voices about true intentions. We'll just interview 
few people ask them questions about True Intentions and how it's affected their life and what they think about people switching up on them. Okay, I see Alright, have you ever known anyone who said they want the best food, but they end up almost like switching up on you? Yeah. Um, yes, not really bad, but you have these people that will say they want the best view, but if that gets in the way of them doing something, mm -hmm. right, Yeah. Uh, kind of conflicting with you, then they don't really want the best view. They just say that because sure. they really want the best for themselves. Yeah. Sometimes you find that in life. Mm -hmm. um, and do you think, like, having, like, true intentions and, like, saying this out loud affects you personally or just, like, your surroundings? Yes. Yeah. Well, I... I think if I understand your question a little bit too, is if you say it out loud, I believe you own it more. Like, right? If, if you just think it in your head and you don't do it, but if you say it aloud and people hear you, you kind of have to own up to that because you've said it, right? You own your word. Right. Is that kind of where you're going with that? Yeah. Yep. Also, I have another question. Do you okay. think like people's surroundings and like other people's voices affect their attention? I hope so. Um, I would like the same reason I would say that, right? I think the majority of the people, yes. If they say it, hopefully they mean it. Um, some people don't, sadly. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That wasn't so bad. <laughs> Not so bad. East Bridgewater and Canton. I'm Zaza, and I'm here with Max Charles. Uh, all right. Um, so today's topic is true intentions. Okay. So, what do you think true intentions means to you? What does it mean to have true intentions? True intentions, to me, that means um, being confident and sure in whatever you're doing, um, having a set goal, and having a plan to achieve that goal mm -hmm. is what I, I believe true intentions are. Do you think um, not having true intentions for yourself affects you mentally? Yeah, I feel not having true intentions for yourself could create um, a sense of, or a lack of purpose and direction, um, which could cause anxiety or lack of confidence and disappointment in the ways that you should be going about your business. Do you think it's necessary to back up uh, true intentions with words and actions? I'm, I'm not one that cares too much for the words, but the actions for sure. Um, and so I feel like true intentions have to come with some sort of action to show that your intentions are true. Yeah. Do you ever find like people switching up because they're not sure what their own intentions are? Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I think it also could be that person trying to figure out what their true intentions are. And in that process of figuring out what those things are, it could, it could waver at times. But I think staying the course and figuring out what the core issue is will help in that process. Thank you. All right, thank you. Good. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, y'all. Here again. Um, I get it. <laughs> um, but not like, to me, honestly, but to intentions, I honestly like agree with um a lot of of our um presenters. Uh, I think true intentions kind of deals with like something that's mental. If you don't believe in yourself, then like I don't think you're really gonna go anywhere for you not being true to yourself. Mm -hmm. I think you're more hurting yourself than like than like just like upgrading, you know. Not improving, you're more becoming a downfall to yourself. Personally, I like disagree with like, not with with what um, the woman downstairs said about her word that words matter. But I really agree with what Max said when he said um when he said it's really about actions. Like, you could say all this but not mean it. Like, you have to show me. Like, I'm not gonna believe it till I see it type thing. So. Yeah, I feel like agreeing with you and Matt, like if if they don't at least back it up, you know, not with words but with actions, like their true intentions like for you or with you, that's like almost when they become switching up or fake at that point. Right. I, I honestly I just honestly believe like words are just something, they're just a sound, you feel me? Like yeah. I just I don't know, like you just gotta like actions just get proving something, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if you're telling me you're gonna 
and go out and score 50, I'm going to be like, oh, let's be realistic. Like, are you really this good to score 50? Or like, you're going to be like, oh, age of 19, I'm going to have a Playboy Mansion or something. Like, it's just like, okay. Um, just like be realistic, you feel me? So it's just like, if you're if you're showing me like, oh yeah, like I don't really gotta say too much, like, but you know how I am, and I'm just be like, well, alright, you see your actions prove. Then I'm be like, alright, that's understandable. But like, if it's just like, oh yeah, like I'm him, or like just being cocky overall, it's just like nah. That's when like why people say like actions speak louder than words because like when one as you start to do like more act as you start to have more actions i feel like that also leads to like trust and then you start like listening to what they say like and then the words have a bigger impact that's it like if they start like proving to you that they're trustworthy or like worthy of your trust or like just worthy of like being around you just like you eventually build trust and just start listening to what they're saying instead of just waiting for them to prove it to you. So it's a better connection between both of them. Yeah, I feel like words really not being backed by actions are just ideas and like illusions in one's head. You know, if they're not, they have definitions, but those definitions are more or less abstract and concrete if they're not backed with actions. Yeah, that's understandable. Like, Actually, to me, that makes sense. Like, it's just like, I don't know. Like, you're just telling me. Like, to me, it's just like, if you're just telling me something, I'm just gonna be like, yo, like, why are you just telling me this? I think two minutes past. <laughs> 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 All right, um, I right, but that should like close out the podcast. Podcast yeah. today. You feel me? Um, wrap it up. Hosted by uh, Jamal, Zaza, and Zach. And um, y'all have a blessed one. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> Do you think kids can have any sort of mental illness? Do you think Gen Z is too soft or too sensitive? What do you think are some misconceptions of teenagers? One of the misconceptions I think that teenagers face could be uh, from the LGBTQ community and how um, kids aren't accepted. So that's when they go into um depression and and stress and get anxiety which my friend will be talking about um yeah another misconception of teenagers could like um relates to mental illness a lot of parents think that um our generation gen z is too young to have any sort of mental illness um to be stressed to have anxiety they think that we live a good life we're living better than they were when they were younger so they it's kind of hard when you have a mental illness and you can't talk to your parents about it because they think that you have so much to live for and that you um like aren't necessarily like in a bad place even when you might be in a bad place which goes into another topic about therapy which my other um, friend will talk about. Um, Yeah, so another misconception um, we face as teenagers is that therapy isn't or shouldn't apply to us. Um, Parents think that we don't need therapy because we're just so perfect and our lives are perfect. Now we're going to go around and ask people some of their experiences of misconceptions that they've experienced. And um, yeah, um, so, like, an experience that I've had is, like, my mom thinks that, like, because I'm a teenager, like, some certain things, like, are too serious for me. Like, for relationships, for example. She thinks that, like, I shouldn't, like, have, like, a serious relationship and everything should just be, like, like loose and fun. Even though, like, if, like, I wanted something to be more serious, she thinks that, like, it shouldn't be because I'm, like, younger. Hi, and welcome back to our podcast, talking about systemic issues that plague our society. We're your hosts, Kaveri Krishnamurthy and Shafatra Faron Sheher. And we're so excited for you guys to be with us today. We have two very special guests coming up. 
Um, and we're so excited to get to hear their thoughts on gender and racial issues that um, are in our society. All right, next on our podcast, we're gonna welcome high school students from Massachusetts, Lily and Anne, to come talk about their club, um, which focuses on women empowerment. So welcome the Girls Empowerment Club. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Um, So my name is Lily. I started the Girls Empowerment Movement um, when I was a junior and I asked Anne because she, I just knew she would be receptive to the idea and supportive. Awesome. Yeah. So with this club, what are your main focuses? Oh, our main focuses for the club are really to spread awareness about, um, obviously, issues surrounding gender gender inequality and inaccessibility regarding especially menstrual products. Awesome. And so what sort of drove you to start this club in the first place? Was there a specific instance or was it just a culmination of all the systemic issues that exist? Um, Well, for me, um, I guess the main issue, um, my freshman year, we had a graded discussion in my history class. Um, It was like a response to um, like a news article we read about um, the banning of hijabs in France. And, you know, we were debating back and forth, which I didn't really support because nobody in that class what like was Muslim or wore a hijab but I just remember reading the girls like it was the girl's story and she was saying how it made her feel safer and I said if it makes her feel safer then we can't be debating this because it's her choice and I had read this study earlier that I quoted that said um, 98 out of 100 women surveyed had been catcalled or followed home by the time they were 17 years old. And this boy in my class responded and said that doesn't mean that 98% of men do that. And I said, mm, I never said that. So, and I just realized that like, they just don't get it. Like the, the kids in my school just didn't get what I was talking about. So we reached out, we started the gem club to make them get it. Awesome. That, that is really, that is really awesome. Um, I know like at least at my school, we have only recently started to talk about getting access to more period products. We have a Senate that is trying to work on that in the period talk club. Um, but there's such systemic issues, especially relating to the stigma against um, periods and menstruation. And so it's really awesome that you guys are doing these things. Um, yeah, you said, you, as you say, like there was a lot of backlash with your history class, right? What other problems have you faced in like the creation of your club? Um, last year, we were trying to do a menstrual product drive and we were told that we can't actually put the word like menstruation or like period on the posters that we wanted to hang up about awareness and it had to be like a hygiene drive and obviously it's important to get all of those hygiene products but our club wanted to focus on specifically menstruation products and ensure that women in need were getting menstruation products Um, so it was really frustrating to not be able to say like period or menstruation and have like imagery of tampons and pads taken off our posters Um, so yeah right yeah and I'm sure like um, as women, the period space is obviously something that we know how to navigate very well, but um, have there been any specific issues, and I know you guys already touched on them, but in terms of your own advocacy, since public speaking and advocacy, especially for women um, and gender minorities, um, it's very difficult in our modern day society. And so what sort of issues have you faced and backlash from higher authorities, and how have you been able to navigate that? Um, I guess, like, at some point, we just realized, like, if they're not going to let us say it, like, we're still going to. Um, And we just um, collaborated with um, this outside organization called Free Period, which that's their organization name. We can't change that, and we're not going to. So at some point, we just decided, like, if you're not going to let us, well, yeah. what can you do? We're yeah. hanging up the posters anyways. So how did you, like, came to, like, like this, like, ending of, like, moving forward from not being able to, like, do what you want yeah. to? Yeah, do you have any like, advice for yeah, move, girls who want to start moving forward with these issues? I think at the end of the day, you know whether something's <laughs> appropriate or not. And saying the words period and menstruation aren't inappropriate words. And so we knew that, like, hanging up these posters was, like, what our club wanted to do and what was important. And so just doing what's what actually matters. Yeah. And do you, if for women who want to start their own um, clubs related to um, feminine hygiene and period stuff, as well as just women who want to start um, doing things to empower the community, do you have any advice and any things that 
schools or students can do going forward in order to make um, it easier for women to feel safe in the space to advocate and talk about their own issues? My biggest piece of advice is just do it. There, people will join. There are people who need these clubs. There are people who need these spaces. Like if you're afraid it's gonna be like you and like three of your friends, which I was afraid of, it won't be because this is such like an integral need in our public schools right now who like public schools do not provide free menstrual products. Like that's why we're trying to pass the IM bill, which would ensure not only in public schools, but like prisons and like public spaces, like we need this. It's bigger than your school. It's the entire state. It's like the country at this point, like just do it and get it out there as best you can. Instagram, Twitter, whatever you have and whoever you know, tell them, keep talking about it. It's sure. Maybe they'll think it's annoying. Keep doing it shove it down their throats yeah, make no, them remember it you're so right persistence is key well thank you guys so much for joining us on this podcast um and what you guys are doing is awesome so continue to keep doing what you guys are doing thank you so much thank you thank you hello and welcome to our podcast and today we're going to be talking about the, um some of these people's experiences on the respected sports teams and what clubs at their school that they're involved in and we have today I, I'm Gage Williams. My pronouns are he, him, and I play football and basketball. And I'm Michelle Montezier. My pronouns are he, him, and I play basketball and I do track. Okay, so playing football, what is it like? Like, what's the community like? So obviously, uh, East Bridgewater, it's a big football town, so we're well known throughout the school. But we try to be as inclusive to everyone as possible. I think this season we were pretty good with that. There were no altercations with any of the teammates and I felt that our new head coach this year did a great job of just including everyone. Have there been any past altercations? Uh, so far I've been on the team for three years and all have been good. Yeah um, and I know um, in sports um, there are barriers especially for racial minorities and there have been a lot of incidents of hate criming so um, has your school done a good job in trying to prevent these um, systemic issues from getting exacerbated? And how, what have you guys done in order to try to make your um, sports teams and communities feel as safe and welcome as possible? I think clubs like Unity Club, they do a good job of incorporating, you know, keeping like a safe place to talk about our issues. Like we may not like announce it to the public, but with Unity Club, we have like a safe place for people of like different races, genders, sexualities, to talk about certain issues, whether it be sports, at-home problems, or just life issues as a whole. And like sports in general, like I play basketball, I've had good experiences with, I, mean, I haven't really had any altercations. And I feel like the adults and teachers and staff in our school, they do a good job of trying to, trying to make it known to students, younger students in particular, of certain issues that go on in the world to keep them educated and yeah. keep behaviors in check. That's pretty awesome. Um, and I know that it's difficult for schools to be able to integrate everyone as a community, and it's really awesome that your school is able to do that. Um, do you have any advice for students who are looking to join sports teams but um, have doubts or are very apprehensive because they're either gender minorities or they're afraid that they're not going to feel accepted, um, gender or racial minorities, or just um, there are systemic things preventing them from joining, and do you have any advice on how they can navigate um, through the struggles that they're dealing with and how they can seem more integrated into their own communities at school. Right. Well, I know it can be different for like every like every school. Our school, I think, like for me, for example, like I tried track last year and it went great. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really worried about like racial issues or anything like that, but I thought there might be like a few differences because we go to a predominantly white school. I thought there might be a few differences for me and the rest of the team. But I joined and our school did a great job of keeping everybody like connected, keeping everyone like as one. And I know it might not be the same for every school, but like some schools they do may not have like a great track team that's like and very inclusive, but that's just something that needs to be like said and spoken about and overcome because it's a problem in many different places of the world and it's something that we need to be talking about. Like if you see something, just say something because yeah. not like you're not gonna have a perfect experience in every sport that or anything you try to do in life. So I feel like as a student, like trying a different sport, trying something new that you may that you might be afraid of doing something, I feel like 
it, it might not hurt to try but like you could fall in love with something like that and even if you do have a bad experience you if you do have a bad experience with it maybe just like try doing something else because you never know what can or can that was awesome all right thank you so much for being on this podcast you're welcome hi so today we're talking about um being more accepting of others and like if people in general just feel included in high school and uh I want to share a story that uh, Jeff Parati just shared to me like, a couple minutes ago about um, a kid at a high school who um, was a football captain, and he came out to his uh, teammates, and it was like a big step for him, and he didn't know how people were going to react, how his coaches were going to react, but it, I think it, like, it shocked me that everyone on the team, I heard, um, accepted him, and like, it didn't change their point of view or uh, perspective about who he was as a person. Hey all, this is Joey C and Anthony A. And today we are going to be talking about a couple of topics that have something to do with perspective. Yep. So to begin our podcast, um, the first thing we would like to talk about is what is a perspective? And um, in my opinion, a perspective is somebody's point of view on a certain topic. And uh, Anthony A., would, what is your definition of perspective? Um, I think a perspective is how a person thinks or acts in a response to a topic that's given to them. Yeah. Pretty similar to my definition. Yeah. But um, we have some follow-up questions on the meaning of perspectives. Our first question is... Um, where does the perspective come from? Um, I think a perspective comes from someone's past and how they think. And um, going into a deeper term on how a person thinks, that can come from like how they were raised and um, you know, just how they were brought up. And a perspective is all based on a person's past and how they think. What about you? I think a perspective comes from the person's personal point of view. And it is shaped by their life experiences and um, how their like current state of mind actually is. Yeah. yeah. To go to our um, next question, the question is, how can you understand someone's perspective? And um, my answer to this question is, I said that life is all about perspectives. And yeah. sometimes people are conditioned to look at things a certain way. But if we change our perspective, we can change our whole outlook on a certain topic on life and begin experiencing things differently and understanding people differently and truly getting an understanding of who this person is and how they view a certain topic. And I think the only way to understand a certain topic fully is by understanding different perspectives on that topic. Interesting. Um... Yeah, to build on your question, which was uh, how does the perspective affect and how you understand someone's perspective? You can understand someone's perspective on many different levels, and I say the first level could be um, just getting an understanding on where they come from and how they were brought up. Another way you can understand them is just how they are as a person and how they act. And I don't think a person is set to a certain perspective, and as like a person gets older and experiences different, um, things, challenges, um, their perspective tends to change. And um, I don't think you can truly understand someone's perspective, but you can really dive deeper into how they think. Awesome. And, yeah. And, awesome. Uh, I have a question for you, Joey C. What is your opinion on how people change their perspective to fit into a certain group or community? Um, in my opinion... I believe that changing your perspective in order to fit in with a certain society is definitely not something that the person should be doing. Um, if people do not value you for your perspective, then you should not try and fit in with those people. Yep. Um, and I feel like to go along with the, the la final question of um, do you care about how others perceive you? I would not be worried about how someone per perceives me because um, in my perspective of things, 
Get yeah. that and play on words. Yeah. <laughs> nice. In my perspective, you know, I, I never really cared about what people thought of me, and that, that's what makes me who I am, you know? I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm brave. And, um, yeah. So that's, that's the f- final question to wrap up this podcast. Yep. I would like to thank everybody who made this happen. Yep. Thank you to the Holy Cross community to let us use this facility, beautiful facility. It's a great facility. Awesome. Um, and we're signing off from... Joey C. and Anthony A. Goodbye. Peace. And we have like an English language learners class and those EL kids just get like, like they're on the second floor and like if you walk past the class, like some kids will like shout in and yell slurs. It's bad. I feel like there's just a really thing where like the pressure to try and get into these classes and see yourself as a certain status is really aggressively implemented in everyone at our school and it makes it really hard because like when I was a freshman I was in two CP classes and I was in three honors classes and even at that like I had friends who made me feel like embarrassed about that and like made me feel really stupid and now that I'm in the APs too like you can still see it how like there are certain people who see it as a status and like you're better than and it kind of like defines you like I didn't like freshman year I took like two CP classes and then I remember like my brother telling me like how are you taking two CP classes and like I didn't even know when it would be like a difference so like what has your school administration done about like this learn they've been considering they posted on their own website yeah. that level one is for the elite they don't really the school administration I feel like doesn't even acknowledge a lot of things that happen at the school, especially like racism and things like that that are addressed and like the way that they go about um, talking about certain things and like the censorship. Yeah, Braintree's not good at addressing things. Like, I feel like Braintree's very much push it under the rug, pretend it didn't happen because we get on the news a lot. So if we're, the school sees that as like a personal, oh my god, this is going to get out, this is going to happen. So we just, instead of fixing it, they just try and make sure that like nobody talks about it. The big thing is that I'm part of a club called Strengths and Differences, which opened up after a student said the N word. Multiple white students said the N word, and there was a walkout because of it. But I think the way people went about it was like, oh, like this is an opportunity for me to skip the school day. Yeah, a lot of kids went to the malls. Like, yeah. yeah, and it took away from the actual aim of it, which was like the aim of hearing the voices of people of color, which is really hard in our community because a very large majority is white, and a lot of the times when you hear like jokes and microaggressions that are targeted towards you, teachers tell you that it's a joke. And there's a huge lack of like accountability that needs to be there, especially for students. I think it's also like lack of awareness. Yeah. Sorry, I missed that. Lack of awareness. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think, and that's true, because, like, I don't think any teacher wants to be, like, every, they're adults, so I have to, like, assume that they're not trying to, like, push things away and push things under the rug, but I feel like Braintree has such a sense of, uh, ignore it and it'll go away, even when, time and time again, you can, like, show to teachers that, like, this doesn't work, that's all they know. Okay. So they just, they default to it almost. Yeah. It's, I feel like for students of color, it's been made aware a lot, and like students generally, like they try really hard to make people aware of what's going on. But it's always a very big thing with teachers trying to push it under the rug by saying it was a joke, and that causes a lot of issues and things like microaggressions and like the lack of teaching students how to legitimately treat people like human beings and not joke about things that you shouldn't be joking about generally.
because I mean, like, like a student told me that he doesn't trust me because I'm brown, which is like, you know, and then it's targeted as a joke. But like, realistically, why would you say that? Like, in what sense is that considered like something you should say? Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and that I think it's also like the assumption that like I'm Asian, and like you know he knew I was Asian and friends with him, and his assumption that because he was Asian he can joke around with me like that is the sense of like oh like if you're if you're similar to me then like if I say offensive things to you mean this. If that makes sense, I've experienced that a lot in like the Mexican and Filipino community. Just like saying things that you should not necessarily expect like, to each other. Sorry. You know, it's, okay. it's not okay, it's, but you're, I, yeah, I, I get what you're it's, saying. It's like, the, you know, like, I think it's just so normal. Like, I think it was instilled even when I was younger. Because, like, like, in eighth grade, like, I had a student tell me that his parents deported people like my parents because my father's an immigrant. I'm first generation. And, like, hearing that was just, like, really rough to hear. Because, like, why are you gonna treat me in that sense? And why are you gonna say things like that? How's Canton? Is Canton any better than Braintree? Yeah. Um, I would say a little better. Like they'll like address the issues and they'll try to like evaluate the situation and make it better. But sometimes that doesn't really help. It just makes it worse. In what way? I don't think I don't think I put my email in there. I'll give I just feel like they try to like ignore like the biases in the community. I think they like act like they try to do something, but like after like they say it once, like they'll never say it again. Like even if it like happens again. Do you guys know about what happened? What happened in Brandon schools? I think it was. No. They told students that they couldn't hang up flags that weren't the American flag to try and come back. It was stone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it was done. Let me correct myself. They, um, my cousin goes there and, like, you know, she told me about it. And they were trying to combat, I think, that, like, people hanging up LGBTQ flags, yeah. I believe. And it led to them saying that no one could hang up any flags other than, like, the American flag. Which also stopped people from hanging up like Irish and Italian flags as well. Like my family had like a Filipino flag and my cousin was like, I don't want to just like take that away because that's like a really, that's like taking a very large part of people's identity, whether it's an LGBTQ flag, it's your your ethnic flag or your national flag or something like that. It's crazy that like all of the prejudices like surround us. Yeah, yeah, all our schools are so close. Yeah. yeah. I, you know what? I feel like people try and sit there and be like, we're in the north, so there's gonna be less racism. But I feel like it's more racism is more ignored because people people make assumptions. Yeah. That just because you're not in the south, there's gonna be less of the prejudice there. Yeah, like there's racism everywhere. Now I can't obviously speak about racism, but I'm uh, I have a learning disability, so I'm in like my school's IEP. Like I have an IEP, I'm in my school's like programs for that kind of things. And just the amount of teachers who have like come up to me and been like, "Hey, I read your IEP. Like, are you sure you should be in my class? Like, I I take honors in AP stuff, and I had to like." fight my teacher, to, like my guidance counselor, to let me take the AP class because she thought that, she's like, oh, don't, you just understand that, like, we can't modify homework, where, like, in my IEP, it says that I can, like, take a little bit of extra time on tests. She's like, we can give that to you, but understand that the teacher might not be accommodating to it. It's just the assumption that I'm not an AP student because I have a learning disability. Are they not legally required to give you extra time? They they are. They are. It is, but she was like, Mr. Ditt's not going to he can't deny that that's not something he can deny he can very well have many it's the AP physics teachers he's not he's like AP physics I do and my and my guidance counselor was like assuring me that I would drop out she's like 
I'll have this. She's like, I'll make sure that I have an honors class ready for you to drop down That's to. That's a terrible thing to say. Exactly. Say that I, she, she tried to, she got me to drop down my math class. I was in um, an advanced honors math class sophomore year. And uh, she was pressuring me the entire year to drop. So I finally did. And now she's trying to get me into my CP class. It's just that assumption that like, I cannot do this because of this disability when the learning disability doesn't affect math or science. It's just, I feel like, I don't know about Canton or other schools, but Braintree, I've had to like, throughout middle school and high school, it's just like every step of the way has been trying to give less accommodations. The assumption that I'd take advantage of it. Generally, generally the representation is just not good. Even yeah. like LGBTQ students, like it's the representation I think they try in a sense, but not enough. I don't even know if they try, to be I honest. I think they try th so that they don't look as bad as they are, which is, no, they, I don't they, they say words. Say they mention they it, but then words. they don't do action. It's not even they don't do action. Sometimes they like don't, you can tell that they don't even want to say the words. Oh, yeah. It's like they're afraid to acknowledge the issues. Exactly. Um, one thing about like assumptions and things, so I have two older brothers, and I, my like oldest brother like wasn't like the best student, but so our last name is Sanchez, so like a lot of people think that we're like Mexican, and so my brother, he's, he took Spanish, like, it was like in middle school, 7th and 8th grade, and the teacher, she like, like assumed that we were like Mexican and like knew Spanish and everything. So they would like, she would like, like call him and like ask him like everything basically. And he was obviously he didn't know because like it's like a foreign language to us. And so like he would like have to go down to guidance and like thank God like we like know one of the guidance counselors and it's like our godmother. So like he had like someone to resort to, but like that kept like me and my other brother from like taking Spanish from like her like assuming like, everything about that. That was it. Yeah. Like I had a student at my school who's in my Spanish class who consistently likes to like like I'm Mexican and he likes to like come up in my face and be like, Imagine having someone who's not Mexican be better at Spanish than you. And like that's like not something like like, like I I grew up around Spanish and that's fine, whatever. I can speak and I can listen. I can't do grammar. It's just not like like I can't, I can't even do grammar in English. Why would I be able to do grammar in another language? But like to have a student invalidate me and like my experience, my identity like that is just like really rough because like like this same student is just like not nice consistently. He Wait, he's Mexican? No, he's, he's not. He's, he's the whitest white he, boy in the and world. And I literally at one point said, I'm, I, you know, like, I grew up in a very white community, but I still, like, like, I'm very embraced with my culture. And he was like, well, you don't know how to speak the language, and you don't know enough about the culture, and you're all whitewashed. So, like, he's, you're going to, like, it was basically, he was just like, you're going to lose your culture when you're older. And I was like, that's not okay to say to me. No. And, like, he's one of, if, and, like, I don't know him that well, but no, he's in my, well. he's, he's in my AP physics class, and he's one of those kids that's that perpetuates the level system, and he's he's like he has this superiority complex. He's like I'm in all these APs. I've been in all these APs. Like if you talk to him, he will tell you all of his grades by the end of the conversation without like, I hate people like that. I think that's a big thing is like I'm in more APs than him but his way to level me up I take four APs he takes three and that's fine I've never sat there and been like you know like I'm proud of my classes I work my way up but I'm not him like he consistently like someone was like jokingly was like oh like she'd be she's one more and then he was like oh pull up her grades and you'll see and I was like he will tell you his grades like, by the end of the conversation like, perpetuate that like why it's and like nothing's done students. about it ever like no. you can bring it up to a teacher and be like hey this guy is being like really rude and they'll just be like well you know he's a boy you know how they are it's all this like underlying is he popular yeah. I, not really not in like a like, he has friends like he has i am one of his friends kind of i he has a group of people. They're not good people. One of, oh, fun fact, the, like, main person in this weird cult group of people is the person who said that his parents deport people like my parents. He has a bad group of people. There's but a very large population. Like, these are not nice people. And I feel like Bridge is a very clicky school. Like, I think it is. Yeah. Do you guys go to South? Huh? South. 
Middle Isn't school. There two? I went to East. I went to I South. There's only one middle school. No, there's two. There's one. There's one high school. Two, two middle schools. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. There's Rangie, South and East Middle Rangie School. Rangie is a pretty big town, but it's not that big to where like we need. We're to technically a city, but we call ourselves yeah. towns because we're pretentious. So, and we like, refuse to yeah. accept the fact that it's gotten big enough I to be. I think it's a, because they're scared of like the whole like the whole like. The stigma around being a city. It's so bad. Like the whole stigma around like, oh, Boston is like like a certain group of people. And the stigma they put around kids that come in from Boston. Braintree is a performative town. You walk into it, you will be see you will be shown what you want what this town wants you to know. And then everything it's like it's like there's a mirror put up and everything behind the mirror is like there's like bodies in the closet. Like there's skeletons. And Branchy like refuses to address any of it and just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and being like, we're this wonderful town. And, like I can understand why they would want to do it. But every time somebody either in high school or in the community goes, hey, all of this is really bad. Like we had the, um, we were the Braintree Womps for a very long time. And like it was very racist. Our mascot wasn't even like the Wampanoag. Most the correct term. I just want to not get the name wrong. They had like you know we had our mascot, and it wasn't even correct representation. It wasn't the correct headpiece. It wasn't the correct person. And like even generally, like why are you using this like discriminated against group as your mascot? And we would have people like dress up in like the headpiece, the wrong headpiece, and like parade around the school and like make a mockery of an indigenous tribe. And people continuously like hated that and they like would say how stupid it is, but it's like because they're not being taught. No one's trying to correct their actions. No one's trying to teach them like, you shouldn't be saying these things to students. You shouldn't act like that because that's just not the way to treat other human beings. But there's no correction. Like with the kids who said the N-word, they had no reprimandations. They were multiple audio recordings of them saying it on numerous occasions. If they got a slap on the wrist, I never heard about it. Nothing happened. Like, that's how bad it was. Like, if they even got talked to, no one knew. Because nobody, like, that was how little was with Doug. I heard her boyfriend talking, and it was just really stupid. Because it was like, he was like, oh yeah, she's been crying all day. Like, she feels really bad. I live like right next to them and i can tell she just does not feel that she continued on with her life perfectly fine yeah so that's a problem so last year a girl in canton high said the n-word and she like well she lip-synced it on a tiktok yeah. mm-hmm. and the tiktok like went viral-ish yeah and she got suspended for i think like a week which is a step. Yeah. Like, at least they held her accountable. But they should at least address the issue. Like, school assemblies, things like that, you need to make it known to the whole that these things aren't acceptable. Yeah. Our school, I feel like, hates doing assemblies. Like, they put it off as far as possible. Because branches are very... If you're not in class, you're... You're you're a bad student. Like they'll like do anything to make sure that students stay in school, stay in class. Which like again is fine, but these genuine issues come up, and they're like that can't interfere with class time. Though. The issue that I've heard directly from a teacher is there's a Netflix documentary called the Thirteenth. It is about how the Thirteenth Amendment made it so that they could legalize slavery in the United States, and how we're still experiencing all of the racism and all of the discrimination today just in different forms and my lang teacher um came up to our principal and she was like we should show this to all the students because it's important and his response was he doesn't want to um it's more of like he doesn't want to offend anyone in that sense and i think the issue with that is that you can tolerate so much of this hatred that is going towards students who aren't white but the second that it comes to students who are white, it's all of a sudden, it's like a huge deal. Or like a white mother came into our school and screamed at our principal because there was a line in a book that said a black boy was scared of the police. And she came in and she screamed at our principal for an hour about it. And it's issues like that. I don't remember, but it was a sophomore year book. I don't know if it was last year, a couple of years ago, but like it's issues like that. And like, you're so afraid to make this one specific group of people uncomfortable that you make everyone else uncomfortable. And it's like, if they never address the racism, then nothing's going to change. Yeah. Yeah.
I, I was hearing, um, you know, anyone here who doesn't practice doing online. They don't give opportunities, especially for students to speak at all, like ever. Yeah. And, and I think that's the problem. Yes. So, like, how do we change that? Like, how do we let our voices be heard? I think that's the hardest part is like, there are so many students who are just afraid to speak out, and I was one of those students for a very long time. I still and am. Braintree's terrible to the people who speak out. Like, true. like yeah. if you say something, you're the one who's going to get the backlash for it, not the person who did the thing. You get told that you're too sensitive. Or yeah. That, like, you know, it was just a joke. Yeah. And I think that once I really started to experience, like, natural discrimination in grade trade for course and eighth grade, it was kind of like, you know, like, this needs to be brought up. And I think there have been many attempts, but Braintree doesn't work hard enough to actually amplify these students' voices. I, uh, Braintree has a, um, like, council of the Braintree, like, town council that you can go and speak at and be like, hey, this is an issue. But, like, the second a kid speaks at some of these things, like, they're all online still. Like, you can see how just, like, everyone's body language shifts. If you start your presentation with, I am a child of, at Braintree High, like, you're dismissed immediately. Anything that comes out of your mouth after that, unless it's referring to back when we still had the mascot, if you were talking about the mascot, your voice would be heard. But if you were like, hey, there's racism in this school. Like, you would be questioned, and you'd be like, you have to cite your specific answer, your evidence. Like, you have to... They make it so that, like, if you're like, hey, I heard this in the bathroom, they'd be like, did you record it? Like, why didn't you step in? Like, why didn't you do something about this? Like, there was a fight and and the bystanders were blamed for not breaking it up instead of, hey, there's a student here having a physical altercation with another student in the middle of school. Like, that is the problem here, not other students not stepping in and stopping this. I'm not sure. I've been to one town council meeting, and I'm not sure the actual representatives were something other than white. I'm pretty sure they're all white, and there's, like, two women. And all the teachers at your school white? Yes. Yes. We have one one black teacher that I know of. She's literally one of my best friends. I love her so much. And she's this, like, amazing woman. And I think there's only one. one, Mrs. Jameson is Mr. Jameson's white. I'm pretty Mr. sure. Mr. Jameson is white. Mrs. Yeah. Jameson is from Lima, which yeah. is in Peru. Yeah. I'm not uh, getting that. Canton has like two. Two. in our research Oh, that's true. Miss Gonzalez is. Is she? I'm sure. Yes, I'm pretty sure. She's mentioned it before. She, I don't think she's white. Okay. I know so we have Nunez is from. Four? But if you exclude, like, Spanish teachers, we have one. But it's also, like, you know, like, I um, I got into APs, and I'm surrounded by all of these white students, and it's really weird, and it's really jarring, because, like, you know, like, I have Asian students, yeah, but, like, I, there's not really any brown students. And the Asian students aren't there. I'm the like, only, I am, two, maybe. I'm the only brown student in my A-push class. Yeah, it's just really like would feel weird. so uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable because then when you feel like you want to say something, you can't because I have this like fear, like it's this like fear that everyone's gonna like see you as like a bad person or like you're sensitive or you can't take a joke. Mm-hmm. And like it makes you feel like a really the amount of the amount of um, people of color in APs is uh, public knowledge. You can look it up on Google. Um, our representation of um, people of color in the school to people who are in CP honors and AP, like you can see it drop, and it's drastic. Like it goes from CP has the is almost equal with the amount of white kids to APs where white kids outnumber. Um, people of color about 19 to 1. It's just a really jarring experience. I feel so uncomfortable saying certain things or like making comments like um, if I'm in Lang, sometimes I feel really uncomfortable saying things about like racism because then I like it's like awkward speaking with a class of white students who like have experienced such a different perspective. That's interesting because in my AP Lang class, like my teacher's such an ally and like we talk about... No, my teacher's a huge ally it's more of just like I I get nervous speaking because of like 
you know, most of my most of my classmates and like my peers, my teacher are all very supportive. It's more just like I don't know what people know and what they don't, and I don't know what their actual experience of learning um, about racism growing up was. And like you know, like when we watched their teeth, I think a lot of people were much more shocked than I was because I have a black stepfather, and like I witnessed it. And like the racism that happened, rather than like you know, like I was taught since I was very young. Whereas like I don't know if these other people were. Like, I don't like talking about my silence either. I can't do it. Should we end with a takeaway? Should we end with that? What's what's the takeaway from all this? School should do better. School should really do better. I think it's really about the representation and hearing the voices of students and actually sitting there and trying to amplify these voices instead of shoving things under the rug, thinking that that's going to fix anything. Are you done? Yeah, I think it's up to us to use our voices. Yeah, make change because the staff won't do it. Yeah, but it's, it's also up, I feel like putting too much pressure on students could also be a bad thing because it needs to come from inside the school with the administrators backing it. Because at the end of the day, like Braintree Town Council will not listen to the students. We could, we had an entire walkout and nothing changed. I think at the end of the day, they have to figure out a way in which they can work together to actually create awareness. And it's really not happening right now. If you're leaving this episode wanting more, you're going to love my live coaching intensive curriculum bootcamp. I help one department or grade team create feminist, anti-racist curricula that challenges, affirms, and inspires all students. We weave current events into course content and amplify student voices, which skyrockets engagement and academic achievement. It energizes educators feeling burnt out, and it's just two days. Plus, you can reuse the same process anytime you create a new unit, which saves time and money. If you can't wait to bring this to your staff, I'm inviting you to sign up for a 20-minute call with me. Grab a spot on my calendar at www.lindsaybethlyons.com contact. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.